So one of the great things about not having your children dependent on their peers is it makes them resilient, much more resilient. Right. I mean, we can never control every other child around our child. Right. Like it's, that's not possible. Right. There's always going to be a child that's acting out and bullying. Sure. Families with Dash offers a balanced parenting approach from generations of tried and true methods combined with research and insights from today. I'm Amelia Murdoch, founder of Dash Into Learning, the popular education company and homeschool mom of four. And I'm Joan Landis, licensed clinical mental health counselor, mom of seven adult children, and grandmother of 16 and counting. And I happen to be Amelia's mom. So what are we going to talk about? We want you to get the benefit of our decades of clinical experience and real life in the family trenches. We offer unique and actionable insights about family life, marriage, and homeschooling. Join us on Families with Dash and become confident and happy parents. Right, so this is week number three of our podcast. Hello. Hello, everybody. We are really excited to be back with you again today, continuing our discussion. Last week, we have been talking about peer orientation, and last week, we talked about the importance of it and... Well, peer dependence that we don't want to encourage children to be. Exactly. And we talked about how to help babies, how to attach with babies and toddlers a little bit. And today, we want to talk about some important ideas on attaching with uh, elementary age children. Right. right. And one of the things that I think a lot of people don't know about having a secure attachment with your parents when you're a child is it helps you to be resilient to bullying. Yes. I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. One of the reasons that bullying is so devastating is if a child is oriented to their peers and then their peers reject them. And so since there is so much peer dependence in our culture today, Bullying has become a really serious issue. It's not just, you know, a, a playground scrap. Uh, it can actually contribute to literal suicides. Yeah. So one of the great things about not having your children dependent on their peers is it makes them resilient, much more resilient. Right. I mean, we can never control every other child around our child. Right. Like it's, that's not possible. Right. There's always going to be a child that's acting out and bullying. Sure. Sure. And, and I, I remember um, as a seventh grader, I moved, I was, I moved to a new school and I was bullied and it was just, it was absolutely, I, I thought my world was going to end. It was so horrible, the pit in my stomach, the fear, the everything, but I was not peer dependent. I went to my mother and told her and she went to my father and told him and they took care of business. They, you know, they called up the mother. My dad took time off of work, went with my mother and me to the home of this woman and her daughter, sat down in a very civil discourse and said, you know, our girls are having some problems. This needs to stop. And he he said it in a way that was kind, but very firm. It was very much the uh, iron hand and the velvet glove. And you know what that did for me? That saved my life. If I had, if I had felt like I was alone in all of that, mm. I would have done anything to get some safety with a gang or with other peers. I, I would have been absolutely desperate. I remember those feelings. The fact that 
having a secure attachment with your parents can make you resilient to bullying is a super important uh, spinoff benefit. Yeah, and that's one reason we want to talk about how to get that attachment going early so your child can be ready for that because bullying is happening, you know, at younger, younger ages. Right. And we we will have a podcast on bullying um, and, and very creative ways, researched ways, well-researched ways, how, you, how to deal with it, but that is not today. Yeah, that, that's going to be an awesome podcast. Yeah. Okay. So for the elementary-aged child. One of the um, things that we want to uh, make sure is that we have, let's just talk about some good ways to attach well with your, with your elementary age child. What are some things that you, that you found? Yeah. So one of the things is the collecting idea. So it's similar to connection, but it's kind of like when I first see them in the morning, I like to try and collect them. And so I will, um, you know, big hugs, lots of physical connection. Sometimes we'll cuddle in bed. I love that. And talk. Yeah, we cuddle in bed together. And my one of my daughters just loves this. She will come in every morning and do this. And I'll talk about what are we going to do today? What would you like to do today? And that makes our morning go so much better. So that's just one easy way that I've found to help with my kids. Yes. And uh, Gordon Neufeld, Dr. Gordon Neufeld, the author of Hold On to Your Kids, one of the books that we really uh, recommend for our uh, parents is he's the one that uses that word collection, mm-hmm. which has some subtle nuances different than connection. It's it's very similar, but it has something to do with, um, you know, the process of gathering your children in order to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, this just happened yesterday. My one daughter was so excited. She she created her own board game. A Cinderella board game. Which which daughter was that? Vivian. She <laughs> drew out the mice characters, and they were going all through Cinderella's house, and they had to avoid the cat and everything, and it was hilarious. It was so cute. And I had just played games with the other kids, and I was exhausted. We had gone to the zoo this morning. I was like, just let me take a nap and turn the movie on for the kids. But she really wanted to play, and I was like, I can do this. Because it was so important to her. Right. And I just felt like if I would have been like, oh, no, whatever. Like, you, like it was so important to her. And so I sat down and played. And she was so happy. Thrilled. And she just was all day. She had the best attitude and mm. was so excited. And would just bring up the game over and over again. And, you know, show her dad her game. And so I think, you know, being interested in what they're excited about and spending time um, to do that is super important right. at this age. Right. And and on the reverse, on the flip side of that coin, uh, remember last week we talked about the importance of uh, connection and that, sec- that secure attachment so that your child will identify with you. I don't, yeah. Well, what she was doing was identifying with mom because mom has, she has seen mom create those board games. Create games, yeah. And we played them together. Right. Now she wanted to do it because she thinks it's cool. Yes. Yeah, identifying with me, yeah. Yes. So very, very important stage. So that's a beautiful example of of how that works great um okay other other ways to connect with toddler kids that the the rituals very important the the elementary age kids yes i'm sorry i'm sorry the rituals yeah rituals and this is something maybe american families are not quite as tuned into is the power of the regular ritual what rituals well, you know, I went to France last year and I was just floored at how long their meals were. I oh. mean, they would have their two-year-olds sitting there 
at a restaurant for three hours. Wow. Just sitting and they would just chat. Mm-hmm. They would not have, there was no, no one had TVs in restaurants. Mm-hmm. No one would think of that. You know, it was just a time for everyone to sit and talk for three full hours. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how are these little kids doing this? But this is just <laughs> kind of what is expected and what they do. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I thought was a total attachment connection that we sometimes are losing. Right. Right. That ritual of family dinners. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I know in my life, I've tried to do a little better. Now, it's true. Granted, you know, my kids are up and out and this is grandkids occasionally. And it's not every day, all day. I'm not in the grind. But even growing up, I really tried to have the nice china dinners every Sunday. And it wasn't every Sunday, but, you know, it was frequently. And that ritual of laying out the china, laying out the linens, you know, sitting there and having a conversation. We even had the ritual of you got to take a picture yeah. of us all together yep. at the table. So yep. we have all, we have like 100 pictures of us <laughs> at this China dinner table. <laughs> with the food? Yeah, with the food. <laughs> Before we eat. Yeah, for sure. We have a ton of those. And um, right. And so the ritual of, you know, it's kind of like having a tea party or making tea. That is a ritual that slows us down, Mm -hmm. that gets us to be mindful in the moment. It's not just microwaving something and, and chugging it. And, and so these rituals that kind of make us a little more mindful and thoughtful and we collect the family on the project of let's set the table, let's mm-hmm. make it nice. Where do you put the spoon? Where do you put the fork? And those little rituals can really help to bind a child to the family culture and, and to the parents. Yeah, I remember one time I had this teenager friend come over from our church and she was kind of struggling. She was probably about 16 and she came over to hang out with us one day, all day, and we sat down to have family dinner, and she was just like, her jaw just dropped. She was like, you guys sit down and have a family dinner? Right. She's like, I've never done this in my life. Right. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, we do this every day. She's like, you do this every day? And I was like, yeah. And she was just amazed, and she's had major struggles in her life, and I just thought that was really interesting how mm-hmm. her family never had a family dinner. Right. Right. They didn't have that collection ritual. Yeah. Right? Another one is morning rituals. Many families have a a morning devotion Mm -hmm. where they read their scriptures or have the thought for the day and plan out the day, have meditation or prayer. Those are very, very important rituals. And they are collection rituals so you can connect. And that's one one reason I love homeschool is because I get to do that in our school every day. Mm. And it's I can count as school. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Let's see. Also, the rituals of coming and going. So the separation and the and the reconnection, very important to have rituals. So you hug and kiss, you promise to think about them while you're separated. Sometimes you give them a little object that, that you share in common. Like some families have a special necklace for their child, you know, and the mom has a matching necklace and you're like, I'm going to, th- I'll be thinking about you when you're away at camp or yeah. whatever. And, and then when you reconnect, you know, when people walk in the door, you do not ignore that. Mm-hmm. That is important. And in mm-hmm. fact, research shows that children do a lot more greeting than adults. Mm-hmm. Children will often greet you just moving from room to room. Right. And so this indicates to us that that acknowledgement, that you know, connection with your eyes and voice, yeah. very important little subtle connections during the day. So when people leave, if they have to leave the home, if they're coming back into the home, it's celebrated. And there's joy. It's not like, oh, he's here again. 
You know, it's like you're home and mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So that's an important one. Yeah, I remember when I first got married, my husband, he'd come home from work and it would just be like, I'm home. And I was just like devastated. I was like, I've been waiting all day here for you. <laughs> and so I had to kind of show him like, no, this is how I want you to say hello to me. And he was like, what? But it really helps because yes. it, it, yes. it really matters. Yes. And I find that just in marriages, I will, yeah. I will tell couples, boy, when your spouse is leaving and when your spouse is coming back, you celebrate. It's a big deal. In fact, a lot of times when my husband would come home, I would say, my prince, mm-hmm. and come up and hug him. And he just was so happy. And so that's that's very important for children, too. Another one is to look into their eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. Very often, we'll just kind of get busy and, and say things, kind of throw away comments. And children will come up, they'll sidle up to us, they'll look up at us. Please, please connect with the eyes. Yeah, so look, that's in, look in their face and smile. Right, right, yeah. right. Reading aloud while while cuddling is a wonderful collection ritual to connect. Yeah, one thing I love about reading aloud is that it gives that, you know, you can have that physical time collecting, but also it gives your family a culture of things to talk about. Yeah. And inside jokes Mm -hmm. and like things to connect with other than just movies, right? Right. Mm -hmm. We can say, oh, remember when that happened? My kids bring this up all the time Mm -hmm. about things we've read together. Wonderful. That's really cool. Wonderful. And the other thing about uh, reading together or sharing any kind of media together, very seldom do you stop a movie and talk about it. Mm, Yeah. But reading aloud, you stop and pause and the child asks questions and the, the, the parent you know, puts the parental spin on it. This is this is how I'm looking at it. And it right. helps the child to identify with what's in the parent's heart. So reading aloud and, and taking little breaks and answering questions and saying, what do you think this person was feeling? Or, boy, I don't think that was that was a good thing for Pinocchio to do. What do you think? You right. know, that kind of thing. No, discussion. that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. the discussion is there. Yeah. Vacation or staycation. Mm, yeah. yeah. Just taking time away from the normal grind of the day and circling up. That's a collection. That's that's a collection activity where you, you know, you group together in order to make connection. Now, if you take an expensive vacation and you're all scattered to the wind or on screens, that's right. That's pointless. Yeah. Um, yeah you always hear people say like, oh, we have to make these memories. And I was like, why do you have to make memories? Like, what's the, like <laughs> half the time. But I think that's what it is. It's the attachment and yeah. things to connect. And that's yes. what they're talking about. Yes. And then for that reason, photos are important so that you can mm. go back and, and reminisce. Yeah, that's one thing that my girls love to do that really brings us together is just looking at old pictures. Mm-hmm. They'll constantly be like, Mom, can we get on your computer and look at old pictures? And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, we've seen them before. But mm-hmm. they love going back and seeing and remembering. And That's connecting with the past. That's connecting with family culture. That's connecting with, you know, their development. And uh, I know my my youngest daughter, her favorite thing, we used to have what we called the forever drawer. And that's where all the cards, all mm-hmm. the photos, you know, all the certificates, everything would go in that forever yeah. drawer. My daughter's the same. She'll get that out. <laughs> and I'll be like, you're making such a mess. <laughs> like, OK, I have to remember. It's it's a ritual of connecting and remembering and very important to help the children to orient themselves. Who am I? Where am I? And what was my past and what is my future? So, yeah, things like that can be a nice uh, way to collect and connect. The other thing is um, you family projects can be amazing. 
you know, even making cookies, that's considered a family project. But even things like cleaning the house or planting a garden, harvesting fruit and processing the fruit, just family project, painting something. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, working together. Yeah. And that gives that gives memories because you're struggling through things. Right. And right. And, and the opportunity to look to the, uh, the parent as the authority. Yeah. And that's this is a very important thing. You know, parents need to go ahead and leverage that natural authority as um, parents need to leverage that natural authority that they have given to them by nature. And so don't be afraid to be the authority. Don't be afraid to say, yes, this is how we do things. Now, of course, it's okay to say, you know, I don't know. Let's find out together. But honestly, I would tend to, instead of turning to Google and saying, well, let's see what Google tells us to do right? That if you have to do that, if you honestly don't know, think about researching on YouTube and Google first and then going to your child and you be the authority. And you teach them. Right. Yeah. They say, right. oh, mom and dad know this. Right. And yeah. that helps them feel safe. That helps them feel like, oh, mom and dad can take care of me. I'm, I can trust that if I securely attach them, I will be safe and cared for. And so even just this being the authority, a, a confident and kind and comforting authority is actually a really important part of making a secure your attachment with your elementary kids that's really interesting and that's i mean it takes a little planning but it's pretty mm-hmm. it's pretty easy mm-hmm. um, also make sure you are that safe place when they are stressed mm. when your children are stressed when they're overwhelmed you be their safe place mm. i just um in fact uh one of my clients um she had a pretty rough childhood with her parents but her grandparents lived down the street and so that was her safe place mm. Now, interestingly, her grandparents always had tons of treats at Mm. the house. Mm. And her parents' home wasn't structured very well. They didn't have too much food, you know, that was well organized. And so that connected in her mind. Mm. And so she struggles with, uh, you know, emotional eating. Comfort and food. Right, right. And and when we connected that back up, that that was her safety, that represented safety and comfort to her, it made a lot of sense. And so mm-hmm. then her husband and she are working together so that her husband can be her safe place. Mm-hmm. Whereas before her husband was stressing her out. And, you know, so now we understand better how to help her, you know, feel safe without putting something in her mouth as a spontaneous reaction to stress. So Parents, you know, just do your very best to be the safe place. You don't have to, another thing is you don't have to put something in your child's mouth um, to comfort them. That's probably not your best bet. However, sometimes it's okay. I'm not saying never do it because eating is such a primal, it's such a primal way to feel comfort and safety that I'm not saying never do it, but but that's not going to be your first go-to. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little more later. There's another concept called comfort with containment, and that's when um, a child is overwhelmed that, that you help to contain their emotions. And, but on the other hand, the, their obligation is to contain their emotions so that you can comfort them. It's a reciprocal dynamic. Mm-hmm. So I was going to maybe talk about yeah. what happened yesterday. So, so I was uh, taking care of, of my of, yeah, one of my daughters. Yeah, yeah, taking care of one of her daughters. Uh, well, actually, all of her daughters for a little while. And um, I was having a nice dinner with my son and his uh, wife. The the children had already had their own dinners, and they were um, watching a movie. And um, you know, suddenly we heard you know, um, actually after after dinner was getting cleaned up, we heard quite a loud you know wailing. And I went and looked. Uh, found this daughter was 
really overwhelmed and wailing, really uh, kind of a very loud distress call. And she has a scream, a very loud, <laughs> high pitched scream that she can do. And she's elementary school age. Yeah, you know, she's, she's not two. She's not. She's yeah, big. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not right. Twelve months. And so I came to her and I said, hey, I can't talk to you. You're screaming. And it was very interesting because she was able to very quickly, like very quickly just contain that. And she became absolutely silent. And then I could sit down next to her and say, wow, what happened? And then she started crying softly, which was, you know, that was perfect because then I could talk to her. She could listen, and she was also expressing her distress, right? right? So all of those are a really good dynamic. But when she was just this high-pitched wailing, I couldn't comfort her because I needed her to contain herself a bit, and then I could contain her distress, process it. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of a, um, the comfort with containment concept, which I think is a really, really good one. Um, also, yeah. one of the reasons that um, we... We uh, need to help children to contain their distress is because they need to be able to deal with reality. That's as a parent, right? That's what we're trying to um, help children be prepared for the reality of the world. Now, you know, when they're 11 months old, that may be, uh, looks a lot different than if they're 11 years old, right? Right. But, But that's the goal, is to help them to deal with reality. And... Um, if we are not, if we don't have a balanced parenting style where what we are doing is constantly adjusting the environment, constantly adjusting the environment and demanding that other people adjust, adjust their behavior. And Creating like a bubble. Right. Around that child in order for them not to become distressed. You know, we're, we're really doing them a great disservice. They won't be prepared for reality later. Right. Um, it's, the, it's the lawnmower parent where they clear the path mm-hmm. before the child. Right. Right, so that everything is a little too easy, or or even insist, you know, grass don't grow here because my child is going to be walking here. You know, I mean, there really are some parenting uh, approaches that are all about my child needs to just be their natural self, and everyone else needs to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not realistic. That is not a balancing approach to parenting, and so part of learning to deal with reality is understanding that um, they get to learn to contain their emotional outbursts and that will help people be available to comfort them um, and that will help them be socialized, right? If you've got a child that is used to just, you know, uh, melting down in really distressing and loud and inappropriate ways, kids don't like them. Hmm. Adults don't like them. Yeah, they can be kind of the outsider right and it's it's very difficult because once they are rejected and if they do not have other children in the family to help socialize them along with the parents they will fall behind and it's extremely difficult to catch up it's not impossible but it's extremely difficult so parents have a real obligation to socialize their children to be you know Uh, acceptable to the society around them. That's part of what socialization is, is they learn to play well, they learn to give and take, they learn to have distress but not, you know, project it onto other people or inflict their distress on other people Mm. in ways that makes it uncomfortable for all concerned because people will reject them, and that's really hard. And I think that uh, something that parents sometimes forget, especially when this kind of parenting approach that, that doesn't really ask for any containment, is that children can learn these patterns. Right. Like their reaction to things is learned 
it can become a habit. Right. And so, you know, if I just let my seven-year-old scream at the top of her lungs anytime she's upset, that's just would happen as a habit, not necessarily like this is really how she's feeling. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And those habits die hard. Yeah. Okay, yeah. whatever habits those children have developed over the years is likely how, what they will go to when they're distressed as adults. And it's not like the, the adult will sit there and scream, but they may blow up yeah. or they may melt down for a very long time instead of learning, okay, I'm distressed. I'm feeling this way. I can express it, but I can express it in acceptable ways. And that's the learning process for all of us. But to allow children to develop this habit over many years of, you know, uh, emotional meltdowns or outbursts um, is not doing them any favors. That is not a good parenting style for them to be able to deal with reality, the reality of other people in this world. Okay, so another way to connect with your child and make a secure attachment is to have a pet name for them. I love this one. This one's so cute, and it's so easy. It's the easiest thing. My one daughter will still bring up how when we were two years old, we called her Liddybug, and she just (laughs) loves it. I don't even call her that really much anymore. And and now I think about it, I'm like, I should just call her that more Mm because she obviously loves it. Mm -hmm. She'll keep bringing it up because she just thought it was so great. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those pet names are are unique to you and your child. Their teacher will not call them that pet name. No one else. So that makes a special bond, a special, precious, loving connection, Mm -hmm. as long as that pet name is not derogatory. Mm. Right? Right. Right. Um, I know with my last (coughs) child, um, my pet name for her is Little One. Mm. You know? Mm -hmm. My Little One. Well, she's now like five inches. She's like... 511 and Mm -hmm. literally she's not a little one but to me she'll always be little one and that's i remember when she was when the grandkids would come over Mm -hmm. and she would say little one to my kids Mm -hmm. i remember abby being like that's not your little one that's right i'm the little one (laughs) like okay (laughs) i love that i had forgotten that good for you another thing is uh when we're talking about being the source of comfort to children. It's an interesting, uh, as far as how our brains work, when we understand how our brains work, it helps us understand how to comfort someone in distress. And this can be uh, kind of at odds with some of the parenting techniques that I see on Instagram. So when we understand that the brain has different general parts of the brain. Now, what I'm going to describe here is really, really really general. It's not a high resolution description of the brain, but it's simplified enough that all of us can kind of understand really quickly. And basically, the brain can be separated or, or described in three main parts. The lowest level um, part, which is sometimes called the reptilian brain, that's your brain stem. It has to deal with all of your body systems, breathing and reproduction and things like that. And um, and then the next more developed part is the mammalian brain. That's your limbic system. And that's your areas of your brain having to do with um, emotions and relationships and feelings and not so much symbolic things. It's not so much planning and executing but it's feelings and it's relationships and um, pecking orders and hierarchy. That's where that part is mainly located. And and the mammalian brain also does a really good job of recording trauma memories there mm, that will never degrade. And I can talk another time about why that's there. But then there's the uh, what I call the humanistic part of the brain which is the neocortex, so it's the four lobes, the um, neocortex and the prefrontal cortex. um, And what happens there is planning, execution, logic, reasoning, understanding speech, um, doing math, judging, accomplishing goals. Okay, 
So now I've just described those three parts of the brain. Here's the interesting thing. When we are upset, that activates the mammalian part of the brain with a lot of feelings and emotions, okay? Um, let's think of a horse that's scared or a horse that's mad or, you know, the mammals do this stuff, okay? They, they understand feeling. When the, that happens, when the, the feeling part of our brain is jacked up, the humanistic part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex and all that, they go offline, for the most part. Like the executive? Yep, all the executive <coughs> functioning, planning, even the understanding speech stuff, yeah. putting words to things, that goes offline. And and there was a very, very famous researcher who um, around uh, two, 2000 actually won a, um, a Nobel Prize for understanding this concept. So how does that play out? The way it plays out, the, the, the best way I can describe it to my clients so that they really get it fast is if you are running away from a saber-toothed tiger, okay, mm-hmm. can you complete an algebra problem? Right, yeah. It's like, mm, no. There's no way. No, no, no. Well, and so that tells us that in order to start processing verbal cues and thinking through things, we need to be comforted and we need to get back to baseline. And so that saber-toothed tiger needs to be safely put in a cage and someone needs to wrap their arms around that little child. And then, and only then, do you start trying to problem solve, Mm -hmm. okay? But what (coughs) happens a lot is parents will, a child is tantruming, a child is having meltdown. And what does the parent try to do right then? Be rational. Right. Problem solve. Problem solve. Well, if you just don't do this, Cindy... Or if you would do this instead, or maybe we can solve this, right? Look, this happened because this and this and this. Exactly. That's a recipe for having the child look at you and say, you don't get me. You don't understand. You're not with me here. Yeah. Yeah. You're not with me in my pain. And this happens with uh, husbands and wives all the time. And I'm not going to tell that story, but that's for another time. But just know that the way that a human brain works and especially a child's brain, because, you know, those, the prefrontal cortex is not finished connecting up that they get overwhelmed. And then if the parent sits and tries to make them talk it through at that moment, we've got a problem. Major. Right. And, and the child will tend to reject you and, and not relate to you and may even, it may even escalate the stress and the acting out. Yeah. Right. So I have one daughter who gets very emotional mm-hmm. ever since she was little, she gets mm-hmm. very emotional. And I learned and, you know, I can talk and talk and talk and mm-hmm. it would do nothing. Mm-hmm. She would just keep crying and crying and crying mm-hmm. and crying and be mm-hmm. so distressed. And so I've learned that she's big. She's like nine. And I will still do our little process when she's really upset of rocking mm-hmm. and holding her mm-hmm. and just saying comforting things mm-hmm. and then getting her into a bath mm-hmm. or a shower. There you go. And then after that, she's just like, oh. Mm-hmm. so able to talk things mm-hmm. through but you know it takes a solid half hour mm-hmm. right. and that's kind of the process we go that's through that's a I ritual know, I know, reconnecting yeah, ritual. i know we have to go through that before mm-hmm. we can actually address any of these issues mm-hmm. right to get her back to baseline and that brings up the the another way that you can actually soothe the child and that is through the body systems that reptilian mm-hmm. part of their brain um so i really like that you brought that up so not only can you relate to them on a feeling level Okay, where you gently, you know, collect them, have them feel included, have them feel connected, um, have empathy, look, look at them in the eyes, you know, talk about their feelings a little bit, but you're not trying to get them to problem solve. You're just saying, oh, I feel bad, too. I feel bad that you feel bad. Mm. 
you know, that kind of thing where you are mirroring some of their feelings and, and empathizing and uh, And get on their level. Right. Right. And not too many words, just keep it really simple. And sometimes, you know, I'll tell you one of the best ways to connect to your children is if they're crying, if you will cry with them, Mm -hmm. right. When their little hearts are grieving. And if you can feel that, feel it with them and cry with them, they just, that means so much to them. But, but anyway, so uh, you can also approach things from their body, their body system. So wrap them in a blanket, uh, put them in a warm bath and you stay there with them. Um, And this is the time when you can feed them uh, like from your hand. Okay. Don't, don't just set something in front of them. You feed them from your hand and that makes that connection here. I'll give you a little, you know, what is it? A goldfish or whatever. And we do it one by one and we talk and, and that makes that connection putting them down for a nap, sleeping with them, cuddling with them. So all of those body systems. These are like very primal. Very primal ways to comfort, right? And so you can go in from the the bottom up of your brain, you know, that reptilian body system part. You can go from sideways, that mammalian part. But don't come in from the top down with that cerebral, lots of talking, lots of uh, judging, lots of executive functioning, lots of planning and executing. Don't do that yet. Yeah, it's kind of like when... You know, the the stereotype of, oh, the men just want to problem solve mm-hmm. and the women just want comfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. The mm-hmm. husband is coming in mm-hmm. with the from the top mm-hmm. and right. saying, let's solve this. And mm-hmm. the wife's saying, I just need you to listen. I'm right. here. You don't get me. Yeah. Right. I need you to get me first. And then once you get me and I feel comforted, <laughs> I'm not alone in my pain. Guess what? Usually I can I can think it through, too. I can, yeah. I'm, not so, a, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same thing with our kids. Yeah. Very much so. OK. So, um, so there was that about just different principles about how to comfort a child, which is a very, very important way to connect and make that, um, attachment. That's about it for my list that I wanted to cover today for the, how to do these. Now we want to talk about the warning signs Mm. of peer dependence because, you know, you, you may not even realize that your child is peer dependent until it kind of explodes on you in their adolescence. Um, so one of the things is, um, you know, we, if children are rejected by their peers, that's never easy. Okay. I would actually be concerned if my child was like, Oh, I don't care that Susie said she never wanted to play with me again. I'd be like, wait, what? But if they're devastated for long periods, like if they're devastated for more than one day, and if they start changing their behavior, then that means that they probably are a little too peer oriented. Another one is if they reject parental comfort or parental counsel. If they push you away, they ignore you, they, um, you know, tell you they don't believe you or that they, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, that's a huge warning sign. That's a really big warning sign. If, if as an elementary grade that they are not taking you as the authority and their pattern and, or if they just need to be constantly connected to their peers and boy, we do not ever, we don't. Um, we don't recommend giving phones for texting or any kind of mm. uh, connection activity to elementary grade ever, ever. That The only way that might be uh, useful is if they get on mom's phone and FaceTime with grandma, you know, right. that kind of thing. Connect with people you want them to connect right. with. Right, but you don't write. And if they're texting in the same room as you, you have no idea really what they're saying, what they're doing, and what they're feeling. And, that's and they are very oriented not towards you. Right. Right. So um, those are just some uh, warning signs for elementary grade peer dependence. And I'm sure there's a lot of others, um, but 
But just be aware that that your job as a parent is to prepare your child to be socially acceptable and to deal with reality and to feel very secure and loved. And that's a balancing act that, you know, balanced parenting can do a really good job of, of creating for your kid, for your, for your child. Yeah, I hope we've given you some good ideas, some easy stuff, some stuff that might be some bigger changes that you can use. Instigate, yeah. I mean, if all you did was was say, I'm going to start a one ritual. Yeah. When those kids walk in after school or when, when my uh, husband walks in or when I walk in, I'm collecting people, I'm celebrating people, I'm looking at the, in the eyes and saying how much I love you and I missed you. Yeah. That's great. That's one thing. Right. Easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, this has been lovely. So I'm really fun. glad we could cover some of these things. I know that it will make a difference in your lives and in your children's lives. Yes. If you understand these concepts and just start putting little tiny things into play, and then we will. And yeah, I'm really, and next week is going to be the teenager mm-hmm. years, and that'll be super interesting. Very interesting. So. I've, I've gone through it seven times. With my mm-hmm. <laughs> with my teenagers on all different kinds of situations, and uh, every child is unique, but the the principles are the same, and it will be exciting. So, okay, yeah. thanks for joining us. All right, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye bye. Find more from us at dashintolearning.com for all things educational and learn more about Dash Into Happy, our family-friendly social-emotional learning program. Thanks for being part of Families with Dash. Disclaimer, the information and advice posted on the Dash Into Learning, Dash Into Happy, and Into Happy sites and podcasts is for educational purposes only and is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional, medical, mental health, legal, or other professional assistance. Call your medical or mental health professional or 911 for all emergencies. Joan Landis, Amelia Murdoch are not liable for any advice or information provided on the account Dash Into Happy, Dash Into Learning, Families with Dash, or Into Happy.